So we're back again. It's Bob Graham, my sidekick, right? Sidekick is the title we agreed on. We went through about 120 names and came up with sidekick. Sidekick. Yeah. So today we're going to talk. What are we talking about, Bob? We are talking about the whole idea of pre-vetting. Yeah. So we're taking a little bit of a tangent away from the conversation around the sales process. Last week, we talked about qualification. And next time, we'll talk about preparing for customer success. But in the interim, let's talk about the vetting process and, and how customers, how it's changed and, and how a founder needs to think about it. Can I ask you a couple of questions? Yeah, fire away. All right. So how was the vetting process before the internet? You were there. I was there. Can you walk <laughs> us through? Because some of the people participating in this may not remember those days. Yeah. So, well, first of all, there was a whole lot more paper and <laughs> everything was everything was physical, right? You mailed someone something. You didn't even email them something. You didn't send them a PDF. Or you dropped it by their office. You dropped it by their like office. Like got in your car and went to their office. You did a lot more demos and a lot more PowerPoints. And some of us even remember yeah. overhead projectors. Yes. So those days are in a lot of ways, happily behind us. But what that gave us is the ability to control the flow of information. A lot more of what a customer learned about the product, the solution, the company was controlled by the company and the salespeople. They knew everything. And if you wanted to learn about things, you did so through the company officially in a structured way. You called the salesperson and asked them a question. Yeah. You, and they got have, you the answer. Yeah. You might have a website, but even then, early, early days of the internet, you might have a website, but it was really highly controlled. And so you'd, you'd ultimately, if you want to buy something, you contacted the salesperson or you contacted the sales department or someone, and then you'd end up talking to someone. So and, the person selling was in control of that flow. Yeah. Absolutely. And the information that was being shared, when, what, why, and how. Yeah. All right. And one, one important note is there weren't alternative channels to go to to get that information oftentimes. You couldn't go to social media and ask the question in the same way. You couldn't or get reviews or get reviews or that sort of thing. It just didn't exist. It certainly didn't exist in any in any scalable, massive way. Right. OK, so here we are. Let's advance to technology is playing a role. We have Internet. We have email. We have YouTube. We have all these different channels how does that shift this equation from the salesperson controls the information flow and the process to where we are today well so much of this seems uh, obvious but it's still worthwhile to go through so yeah the customer has just a great deal more control over the flow of information or what they're able to learn about a company. And some of this, a lot of this is enabled by astute forward-looking companies. They've decided we're going to put everything out there. We're going to make as much information available to our customers so they can feel comfortable about us. They can learn as much as they need to know. They can get their questions answered. And so we have an informed customer. So does that mean that the customer now knows more at the time they purchased than they might have 20 or 40 years ago, do you think? Yeah, certainly. More importantly, they know a great deal more before they purchase. They've, and maybe even before they even talk to a salesperson. Yes, because so much of the information is available on the internet, the company website or on other websites. If you wanted to go and find out about what people thought about HubSpot, for example, you would take you 10 seconds to go on Twitter and say, hey, 
give me some feedback about HubSpot or you'd search on HubSpot and you could get all sorts of feedback. Or go to all, Google and, and then, look for HubSpot competitors. In fact, if you go into Google and you type in HubSpot, you get all their competitors on probably on the first page. So you know Marketo and MailChimp and whomever else. So what does this mean for a founder today who's trying to get a product or service out in the marketplace? So Brendan, what are the implications for a founder or a sales team with this really dramatic shift over the last, what, 20 or 40 years? Well, it's funny to say this, but at some level, you have to have some marketing presence out there. Uh, now, I would argue that for early stage founders, when you're at zero to 10 customers, zero to 20, whatever the right number is, you... I would argue you don't really need to have much marketing because you're going out and you're engaging one-on-one. -on -one. You're trying to get your customers one at a time through conversations, through initial calls and, and so forth. Do I need a website at that phase? I would say you don't have to, but it's so easy nowadays to have a website of some sort. Yeah, it's so inexpensive now that, that you can put a website up in a couple hours and have something that looks good. And if you're a technical founder, you probably can't even stop yourself from doing that. But the truth of the matter is you don't really need to have anything. I, I go back to the fact that you don't have to have a product to get sales. Right. And which, is, which is a shift in yeah, thinking. Yeah. And I, I think that's- Can you walk us through why you say that? Yeah. Because I've, first of all, I've done it so many times. If you've got the credibility that you can deliver and you can mitigate the risk of, oh, what if they don't deliver? If you can address that risk, you can convince the customer that you are capable of doing what it is you say you're going to do. And then you can entice them in some way that the cost is attractive and the risk is low, then you can definitely do that. That's what a lot of consulting engagements are. I'm buying the expectation that you're going to deliver this thing for me. That sounds daunting to me if I were a founder, Brendan. It sounds simple to you because you do this all the time, but it sounds difficult to me to be able to go out and sell a product or service that doesn't exist. That to me is like going out on a high wire without a net below me and trying to get across the Empire State Building to the- I think this is, this is such a fascinating dilemma because what difference does it make if you go and build it and then sell it versus you sell it and then build it? What's the difference? You still have to do it. The big difference is now you're motivated to deliver because you got people that you've obligated who've paid you and who are expecting it and who are going to get mad at you in some way or another if you don't deliver. And that's oftentimes the exact motivation you need to, to, to get off your ass and produce the thing. Nothing focuses your attention like a customer and their expectations. Uh, the other thing is, is if you take it from that approach where you build a solution based on the combination of your vision of the product and customers' expectations of the product, you're probably going to get a much better product. This is especially true if you're able to sell the thing to more than one or two customers. If you can get two or three or four customers and their interests are all largely aligned so that what you're building is consistent with the expectations of three or four different entities, you're probably onto something. Now, the thing you still have to figure out is whether or not the market in general is big enough to sustain okay. you longer term. Did you, was it a fluke? Did you pick four companies that basically make up the entire market? 
or are you onto something? And is the market significantly larger, in which case you've established a trajectory? Okay. Don't we have a contradiction here, Brendan? Earlier, we talked about pre-vetting. The buyer has more information, more access to information than ever before, more right. easily. And in the last couple of minutes, you've articulated, you really don't have to have a whole lot of marketing. You can go out and sell something without the person really being able to do that pre-vetting. So how do I reconcile those two things? They see, aren't they at the office? Yeah. yeah, we sort of got into different phases of the company's trajectory, um, if you will. We started talking about how a customer has a lot more control has a lot more insight into who you are and what you do and how you do it and how well you do it and all those sorts of things. But then we kind of went off into talking about how you don't need marketing in the early stages because you're getting your initial customers. I, th I think this notion of enabling customers to vet you through marketing materials and content and your public visibility mm -hmm. is, a, is a little further down the process. That's where you're now out in the public and you've got a public facing image. And at that point, you're putting stuff out there that's talking about your solution. Your solution is arguably m more built. Okay. Now that's not even necessarily true because you could mock up a bunch of stuff. And a lot of people do this uh, mm -hmm. with where they create screenshots and they tell people, hey, I built this product and they put it on the web and they blah, blah, blah. And people talk about it and here's where it's going. And then they get orders and then they go and build it which is genius in itself too, if you can pull it off, right? <laughs> if you can do that, some very smart people have done that with great success. As long as you, you manage the customer's expectations, <laughs> someone pays via Stripe, and then you know that you're going to get the product in three months and, and not now. And as long as they know that expectation, then that's a great way to sell. Okay. Anything else to add to this? I know we covered a lot and went two directions, but I think we got back to the center point. Yeah, we'll talk about this some more, but it's fascinating to see how the whole sales process has morphed. And the consequence of that is that because customers are a lot more informed about who you are and what you do, by the time they arrive at you, they're a lot more qualified. They're self-selecting to have a conversation with you. At some level, that allows the sales process to be a lot more engaging and a lot more interactive, and it allows you to make certain assumptions and be a lot more direct with your customer, which I think benefits the customer, the founder, the company, theoretically should shorten the sales cycle. So yeah, I, th I think on the whole, it's good. It's, it's a little unnerving because you no longer have that level of control, but the folks that have basically accepted that that's the new reality have thrived as a result. And everyone's playing by those same rules. Pretty much, yeah, except in certain niches where you're the dominant player or it's very highly regulated. In that case, you may still see some of that. Of course, it gets way more complicated with enterprise deals and large deals because everything is so custom at that point that you really are very reliant on the salesperson and the company to share information. But then even then, that's a two-way street. So I don't know, I think this is helpful. What do you think? I think it's been really helpful. It's given me some things to think about. And it's always fun to go back in history and compare it to current history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it makes you feel old sometimes. But yeah. <laughs> sometimes? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So very good. We'll be back, what, in uh, soon with another episode. Yeah. We'll talk about how to think about customer success and how to make that part of the process. Because customer success is really part of the sales process. 
Okay, so that was another episode of Let's Chat Sales, that time talking about the vetting process and customers' ability to understand more about your customer early in the sales process. And next week, we're going to get back to talking about the sales process overall. And the next step in that process is talking about customer success and how to incorporate that into the sale and your sales process. So thanks for listening, and please feel free to share this. And if you have questions, send them to hello at letschatsales.com. And uh, happy selling.